You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Our understanding of the mechanisms that produce hypertension has greatly improved over the years, and with this progress has come an expanding arsenal of diagnostic and treatment options. Yet the scourge of hypertension continues to disable and to kill millions throughout the world. Lowering salt intake and staying physically fit are two keys to treatment, but there's more we can and must do to wrest control of this chronic condition. Our guest today is Dr. Aram Chobanian. Dr. Chobanian is President Emeritus at Boston University, where he served as Dean of the Boston University School of Medicine and as Provost of the Boston University Medical Campus. Welcome, Dr. Chobanian. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here today, and we're going to talk about the hypertension paradox. You delivered the Shattuck Lecture, and it was published in the New England Journal. I loved reading the lecture. One of the things I thought we might start with today is what we know about hypertension historically. In terms of hypertension and its management, the real advances that were made in management started in the mid-1950s. Then in the late 1950s, with the use of diuretics, the treatment program really became much more productive, much more aggressive, and uh, many more drugs than followed in rapid order after that. But initially, there was controversy about whether high blood pressure should even be treated. Yes, back uh, really before the introduction of diuretics, there was a lot of controversy in that there was a strong feeling that lowering blood pressure might do harm because you needed the head of pressure to perfuse vital organs. And if you reduce that head, you might get ischemic changes. I've over the years had a number of patients ask me about why their blood pressure is high with the implication behind their question that maybe it's a good thing. Yes, well, that had been so popular that the general public uh, really believed that. Talk to us about the early era of antihypertensive drugs. What did we have first? Well, the treatments that occurred were very potent and associated with a lot of side effects, and that included drugs like ganglionic blocking drugs, which lowered blood pressure but also created a tremendous amount of adverse symptoms. Then there were surgical methods, the sympathectomy that Smithwick and others popularized did lower blood pressure, but again associated with some side effects. But gradually, more effective agents came in, and also Kempner at Duke used the rice diet, which although it could not be adhered to for a long time by many individuals, it proved to be effective in lowering blood pressure. But what all these agents at the beginning suggested was that if you lowered blood pressure long enough in people with severe hypertension or malignant hypertension, that there would be an improvement in the clinical course of the disease. And uh, I think that really opened the way for the introduction of a lot of new drugs that would lower blood pressure. And may well have lent some power to patients trying to take these medications. When the medications cause side effects and the hypertension was asymptomatic, at least knowing that they might have an impact on the strokes and heart attacks that they might suffer untreated. Yes, I think the 
impact originally with the effective therapies was on very severe hypertension, and the clinical trials were directed to those with malignant hypertension or with very high pressure levels. But as safer and better drugs came out, it was important to be able to lower blood pressure in those without a lot of disease, without very severe hypertension, in order to see whether there would be an improvement in the clinical course. And the clinical trials that developed went from the most severe forms to the less severe forms to the mild forms of hypertension, and then even to individuals who had, say, renal disease, but with minimal or no hypertension if you defined it by blood pressure levels of greater than 140 over 90. So we had a tremendous progression of studies and of drugs that developed over uh, the last half century that led to our present status. So as we move into the next half century, talk to us about the evolution in the approach to treatment for hypertension. Well, we now have a number of effective drugs for lowering blood pressure that also do not cause much in the way of side effects. So we have the capability of lowering blood pressure in more than 90 or 95% of individuals to go levels, and yet we're not doing a terribly good job of achieving that. The agents that are most useful for patients with hypertension, there are five classes of drugs, and they go from the diuretics to beta blockers to ACE inhibitors to angiotensin receptor blockers to calcium channel blockers. So these five classes have been tested, have been shown to be effective not only in lowering blood pressure, but in reducing cardiovascular complications. So we have the armamentarium there, and even newer drugs are coming out, uh, which will probably prove to be important for certain situations as well. And most of the drugs these days are fairly well tolerated. Yes, I, I think the side effects, although individuals may have problems with individual drugs, yet since we have such a wide array of antihypertensive agents available, I think uh, we can lower blood pressure without unfavorable side effects in most individuals. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright. Our guest today is Dr. Aram Chobanian, President Emeritus at Boston University and former Dean of the Boston University School of Medicine. We're discussing the so-called hypertension paradox, why prevalence is still on the rise even as treatments for hypertension continue to improve. Despite the advances that are made in treatment now, we've got good medicines that are effective. They're pretty darn well tolerated. The medical community has become more adept at using these, and yet the prevalence of hypertension continues to increase. What has happened is not only the prevalence of hypertension has increased, but because of the degree of increase in prevalence, the prevalence of uncontrolled hypertension has increased. So what I mean by that is prevalence of hypertension, say, in the late 1980s in this country was estimated to be about 50 million individuals. And the most recent surveys done in the last five years, say, would suggest that the figures now exceed 65 million. So we've gone up a great deal in a relatively brief period of time. 
The reason for that is complex, but one of the major factors is obesity and the increased prevalence of obesity, and the second factor is the aging of the population. Framingham Heart Study data and other data would suggest that if you live long enough, most people will develop hypertension, and uh, there is an age-related increase in blood pressure in most populations. With the increase in prevalence, despite the fact that we are doing better in controlling hypertension, the number of people with uncontrolled disease, again, as defined by blood pressures over 140, over 90, that number has actually increased. The reason for that is that we still are only controlling hypertension in a little more than a third of the hypertensive population. So something in the order of 60 to 65 percent of individuals who have high blood pressure are not controlled to levels below 140 over 90. And when you do the math on this, you find that actually the uncontrolled number since the late 1980s has gone up now significantly despite all that we've said about therapy. And what's frightening about the uncontrolled hypertension is that the mild increase in blood pressure, I think it's 20 millimeters systolic and 10 diastolic, doubles the risk of cardiovascular events. And that doubling occurs even at normal levels of blood pressure. What I mean by that is that if you take an individual whose blood pressure is 115 over 75, say, and compare their risk of developing cardiovascular problems in those with, say, 135 over 85, the risk is doubled in the those with the 135 over 85. Now, the blood pressures that I mentioned are still within the range that we would call not hypertensive. We could get into the public health aspects of this, and perhaps you would do so, But you mentioned obesity, and other folks have talked about physical inactivity. One thing we haven't talked about is the salt intake in the U.S. Yes. The salt intake in the U.S. obviously is higher than it should be. The average intake of salt in the United States currently is between 150 and 170 millimoles per day. That translates into something in the order of 10 grams of salt or four grams of sodium. The data would indicate that this is probably two to three times more salt than we need. There are also good data suggesting that if one would reduce the level of salt intake in the United States by an average of about one-third, we would get an appreciable reduction in blood pressure on a general population basis. So I think the salt issue is important, and potassium also is important because higher potassium levels when combined with lower sodium levels give a bigger bang for the sodium. Perhaps in closing, you could give advice to individuals, to medical professionals, and then advice from a public health standpoint on how we can manage hypertension more effectively. I think if one has hypertension, it's really important to deal with it, to use the approaches your clinician recommends, and that may include dietary changes, blood pressure medication changes, 
or introduction of drugs. I think we have drugs available that do a good job. It doesn't matter as much which drugs are used as to the idea of needing to lower blood pressure and the effectiveness of the agents in preventing cardiovascular complications depend mostly on their ability to lower blood pressure. It's also important that if an individual has hypertension, the chances are they will often need more than one drug. In fact, about 60% of individuals who have hypertension will need two or more drugs to get the blood pressure controlled. So that is very important, and the numbers are very important to making sure that the blood pressure is lowered adequately. With respect to preventive measures, I think individuals should, even if they don't have hypertension, it's just as important to have healthy lifestyles with respect to trying to reduce body weight, increasing exercise, reducing salt intake, increasing potassium intake. Uh, there's a so-called DASH diet, which does that quite nicely, that combines a diet that's high in fruits, vegetables, complex carbohydrates, non-fat dairy products, low saturated fat intake, which is a healthy diet that can be used for lowering blood pressure or keeping blood pressure down and also for cholesterol problems as well. So we do have approaches that can be quite successful from the dietary standpoint. With respect to the broad public health issue, I think that involves much more emphasis on lifestyle changes and healthier lifestyles on a population-wide basis. That's not an easy thing to do, but on the other hand, it's been achieved with considerable success with respect to dealing with the tobacco problem and smoking problem. And I think it does involve many kinds of approaches that will include the government, the food industry, the soft drink industry, schools, the education process of individuals. So a great deal can be achieved with lifestyle that could be utilized in the general population. We've been talking with Dr. Aram Chobanian about reducing the prevalence of hypertension worldwide. Dr. Chobanian, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast to this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.